Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. If you're visiting with us this morning, there are sermon notes in the bulletin. We've been studying this book of 1 Corinthians for several months now. And as we come to the section of, um, we'll be in verses 17 to 21 this morning, or 18 to 21. We're coming to the very last part of this Appeal to unity and attack on pride. If you look at your sermon notes, this is an attack on pride, as we've said. But it's all part of the bigger picture where chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4 work to have the church stay together. We learned in chapter 1 that there is fighting going on. There's division. Some people want Paul to be the leader. Some people want Paulus. We don't know what theological bents are going on, but we know that Paul calls them quarrels. And instead of just saying, be united, he works through these theological issues with an underpinning, if I would, that all of the differences are being raised up because of pride. The people are prideful. And I told you a couple weeks ago, and it's, being reiterated in my own study. Chapter 4 is probably one of the most strongest attacks on pride you're going to find in all the Bible. It's it's blown me away because I told you as I I try to walk through the entire Bible, I want to know what's on in every chapter. I, I personally believe that's something you should do too. But I can tell you, I know there are other there are chapters that have more significance. I'll think of chapter 1, of 1 Corinthians dealing with the issues of you know, who Paul baptized and issues of, of understanding the gospel, the quote from Isaiah, that it just blows me away in chapter 1. Chapter 2 deals with works of the Holy Spirit and how uh, the Spirit comes and the wisdom that God has given us. Chapter 3 deals with the fact that they're babes in Christ. Everybody knows that. Chapter 5 is going to deal with this immorality. We go into chapter 13 with love, chapter 15 with the resurrection, and you see, you quickly jump over chapter 4, and I think a lot of people would do that. I don't think I'll ever do that anymore because I recognize now the significance of attacking pride and how much has been poured into it. I know that you could say, wow, we spent three, four weeks on this. That's a lot, but my goodness, think about it. This, this attack really gets going in verse 6 and culminates through the final verse in 21. And all of these points and all these arguments that are just trying to hit pride because pride divides. Pride, the arrogance, being puffed up. It ruins lives, it ruins churches, and hence it must be destroyed. We all need a war on pride. And it should not be a soft one. And last week I used the illustration of how the Vietnam War caused much pain Because we know the United States did not, as we understand now, go full force in that war. You would attack a hill and pull back. And you would go and see so much idiocy in the Vietnam War. And I'm not trying to be anti-military. That's not what this is about. This is more because of the political pressures that were on, whatever thought were going on the vietnam war was just not a good war and this was spurred on by the fact that i ran across um something on facebook i saw these images from the vietnam war and they were just hurtful no it wasn't um 
I, I saw them on the internet, and, and I, I think um, somebody else put them on Facebook again this week. But they're, they're just, they are just devastating. The imageries, obviously, of any war, but for me, these pictures that I saw specifically of the Vietnam War, especially with the dead soldiers. And, and when you think about the fact that so many did not have to die in that war if we would have just gone in and finished it off. And that's why when I look at this attack on pride, I want to make it akin. How many churches, how many lives are ruined because pride is only played with and not destroyed and put down and killed off? I've shared with you, I've I spent a lot of time because a man, a friend of mine, whose son committed suicide, he's going through a really hard time and we talk all the time and I'm trying to get him to come out of here and preach. And one of the things he told me, one of the things he shared with me, he goes, Mike, if my child was in an accident, I could deal with it. My child got a disease, I could deal with it. It's so much harder for us to wrap our arms around the fact that he took his own life. And we've talked about the fact that it's the, it's, it, when you've got some aspect of foolishness, like an accident, you can understand, there's maybe sometimes a little foolishness, but the, 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 we talked about the akin that a war that didn't have to be fought the way it did brought so much pain. So many parents got the notice. Your child isn't coming back. And, and my point with all of that is that as I deal with parents who have lost children, it's not over in a year. It's not over in a, 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 a decade. It's, it's something that they feel incredible weight all their lives because death is so devastating and, and lives are destroyed. And I look at this, I'm using a specific illustration because a war wasn't handled the right way. And here, what I want you to understand is what I've been trying to get us to grasp is that pride needs to be destroyed and you need to be checking your own life in this. Because as we've said, the Apostle Paul, if you've got your sermon notes in front of you, you look, verses six and seven, he said, he says, the previous illustrations were for you to connect the dots. So look at verse six and seven. He says, now these things I figuratively applied to myself and Apollos for your sakes. Verse 6 says, so that you may not learn to exceed what is written, so that no one of you will become arrogant in behalf of one another. Let's connect the dots. Let's make sure you're not missing it. And then we've talked about this. He's trying to hit them over the head. Please, I can try to subtly make an illustration, or I can just try to tell you when I was talking about farming, when I was talking about planning, or when I was talking about building, this was so that you understood that ultimately you're not in control. It's not your plan. It's you're not, you're not the one who causes the growth. Be humble. That's what he wants. Connect the dots. Then the second point, verses 8 to 13, your self-evaluation is overinflated. You think too much of yourself. Verse 8, you're already filled. You've already become rich. You've become kings without us. And he goes on through verses 8 to 13 to say, you really are overinflated. You think the world of yourself. You should be more humble like us, the apostles. And that's what the challenge is. People that are arrogant think too much of themselves. And then he wanted them to understand their position 
and the fact that they were children. And I implore you to be humble like one. So in verses 14 to 17, he hits this. I did not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. And the idea is ultimately that the Apostle Paul knew more than they did. And we use this as, a, as an example of understanding of how when we have spiritual influence of being someone's spiritual father. And then I would take it into the aspect of you know, when you've got pastors and elders of their responsibility of being mature and influencing the church. You are my spiritual children, he said, basically. And I implore you to act humble like us. Well, now we come to this last part, and you can fill in the blank. You will be confronted on your pride in person, so humble yourself now. And here we're going to get into an aspect of church discipline and understanding of how important it is to attack pride head-on, face-to-face at times. And so Paul says this in verse 18, now some of you become arrogant, there's our word, puffed up, as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I shall find out not the words of those who are They're arrogant, but their power for the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. Verse 21, what do you desire? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love or with a spirit of gentleness? And we'll answer that in a second. So fill in the blank. You will be confronted on your pride in person. So humble yourselves because what the apostle Paul wants to do is attack pride. He wants to do it in person. And, and he wants the people, by implication, then to be humble. We're going to finish up our slideshow. If someone get the lights, I think we need the lights. I, last week, I started an article from um, Mike Gendron, who writes many books on reaching Catholics. And I just want to remind you, his article was called, we get that up there, Jason? Is it coming? Okay. it's called the effects of pride and humility and it says the the opening paragraph said this in a christian's life there are many paradoxes that the unbelieving world i don't i don't need it i was fine in the in the christian's life there are many paradoxes that the unbelieving world cannot comprehend we must humble ourselves to be exalted we must lose our life to find it We must be the least to become the greatest, and we must die to self to live for Christ. Many passages he quotes, and I'll send you the article if you need it. Just send me an email, a link. And he goes on to say, of all these paradoxes, now listen to this, the Bible probably gives more vivid contrast between pride and humility than any other. That is because God hates pride and arrogance while favoring those who are humble, Proverbs 8.13. And he went on through... 10 different ways that God sees prideful people and then attacks them with humility in the Bible. And I went through five last week. And this morning, I'm going to final, finalize the last five. The proud is, is bold to compare himself with others. I put this picture of this woman with her nose up in the air, so much better than others. And here's the thing. You come to church, you think you're better than others. You know more, you, you're, you're more spiritual, whatever. Your way is better. But the humble avoids comparisons. We are not bold. This is 2 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul talked about, we are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves. But when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are without understanding. The Apostle Paul will talk about that humility if we ever get to study 2 Corinthians chapter 10. But the idea is, 
If, if you're anything, it's because God made you. Don't compare yourself and think you're greater than others. If you are someone that does know more, or you're more able, serve people. The proud exalts himself, brings dishonor. Guy puts a crown on his head. The sign says, no matter how great you are, um, arrogance is not a good sign. And so the humble is wise to wait for God's exaltation. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Matthew 23, 12 says, and when pride comes, then comes dishonor. But with the humble is wisdom. You know, God does put people in positions of significance and honor. But there's a way where you manipulate for it or where God brings about the perfect timing. going the proud seeks the approval of men like me love me okay that was a nice green sign the humble desires the approval of god though the scripture says as the apostle paul says as he's battling through the gospel in galatians am i now seeking the favor of men or of god or am i striving to please men if i were still trying to please men i would not be a bond servant of christ and i would change my message for people that's the essence of that the proud finds greatness in exercising authority over others you know it's my way or the highway right the humble finds greatness through serving others and we're going to talk about that today Jesus said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not so among you, but whoever wishes to be great among you shall be your servant. The very, God still has leaders today. God still has people in authority. But the very nature of their character is to be one of a servant. And that's a world of difference. You know, it's a world of difference. Did anybody read the newspaper this morning about the, the mayor who went to the Paul McCartney concert last two weeks ago? Where's my daughter? Um, anyway, the, 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 it's a big blow up now because the, after this concert, it was like two, three hours to get out of um, the Tinley Park Amphitheater. And the mayor said, I'm not sitting here. And he started <laughs> taking all the cones and throwing the cones and disrupting the entire traffic flow for everyone. And he kept saying, I am the mayor. I am the mayor. Let me out. You got to read it. Alex has the newspaper today. It's, in, it's on page two, I believe. And so it's become this big thing because he didn't think he was going to be exposed and now he's exposed. That He uses authority in such a very embarrassing way. Anyway, number 10, the proud perceives humility as a weakness. Proud people think they're this guy and, and they look at the small people and they're going to crush him. But the humble perceives humility as a strength. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he's the great... He is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, Matthew 18, 4 says. And using that principle as we'll go into salvation because humility is at the heart of salvation. And so we said last week, and I use this one again, sadly, even children can be proud, children of God. But here's this imagery of this child, so cute, raised in a Christian household, indoctrination, unsuccessful. And sadly, that's the way some children are. You're not going to change me. You're not going to mold me. Get the lights, please. Thank you, Tomas. Um, and, and we use that because the Apostle Paul is saying, listen, I'm coming and I'm going to try and talk to you guys as a spiritual father. But now I also want you to understand I come to confront you. 
And so pick up in verse 18. He says, now some have become arrogant as though I were not coming to you. So this is almost as if, you know, the, the, the children are, these people are thinking they're going to get away with it. And no one's going to call them on the carpet. You know, this is, I think, the principle, and I don't have the opportunity to, of, the, of the, the landowner that in the, in the scriptures that as he goes away and he has his workers, his messengers, and the people keep killing him and it's akin to the Jews killing all of the prophets that God sends them. To me, it's this idea we're going to get away with it as long as nobody's calling us on the carpet. And the Apostle Paul realizes However, this information has gone out that these people are fighting and they're trying to take over the church and they're, they're, they're being very arrogant. Like, we're, we're the ones, we know how it should be done. Um, Paul says now some people have become arrogant. And exactly how they were imposing their will, we don't know other than the, from chapter 1, they says some people wanted Apollo, some people wanted Paul, Peter, you know, maybe his influence. But they were fighting, but they don't think that they're going to be confronted. They don't think anyone's going to call them on the carpet. But Paul says, but I will come to you soon, verse 19. And here's the question. We don't know exactly when this comes. I got to tell you, I'll never forget. I sat in Dr. Thomas' seminary class. Dr. Thomas was one of the key um, translators of the New American Standard Bible. He was uh, one of John MacArthur's teachers back in the 60s. He is still alive today. He is the writer of the New American St- Standard Bible Concordance. He is um, absolute genius. And I'll never forget the detail that we went over. And I just tell you this in summary. You may not think that verse 19 is anything significant, but we could spend days on how many trips did Paul take to Corinth? How many letters did he write? There are, there are books and pages written on this. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Paul is on his second missionary journey in Acts, I think it's 18 to 21, comes to Corinth, we believe, for the first time. But after that, how many more times does he write? Does he write a letter that we lose? Or did he already write a letter that we've lost? So that now 1 Corinthians might be really 2 Corinthians, and 2 Corinthians should be 3 Corinthians. That's part of the debate, and I'm not going to be able to settle it. But when he finally does come to them the first time, does he come a second time, and then the third time is in Acts chapter 20? Or is there only the Acts 18 and the Acts 20 visit? So when Paul says in verse 19, I will come to you soon, I got to tell you, we don't know when and if the Acts 20 visit is that or if there is another visit. And so I'm not going to settle it, but I do believe he eventually came, okay? That's the bottom line. But what he's communicating to you is, Dad's coming home, (laughs) you know? I'm coming. And now we're going to deal with this. And here's the lesson we need to learn. We need to learn the importance of sometimes confronting people. And, and, and in this attack on pride, if you sometimes don't say something to people, you're missing out. Because remember, Proverbs says, open rebuke is better than him than love. And the Apostle Paul is saying, I, I will come to you. If the Lord wills, and he understands that sovereignty, 
And I shall find out not the words of those who are arrogant, but their power. And, and I, 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 I recognize that this is an act of discipline where the Apostle Paul is coming and saying, I'm going to challenge them. And when he says, we're going to find out not the words of those who are arrogant, but their power, I don't think the Apostle Paul is coming to zap people left and right, zoom, zoom, you know, like we see a Benny Hinn today. Uh, if any of you ever see that on, fa- on uh, YouTube, the YouTube where they take the, this one charismatic pastor and, you know, the way he throws his hands and the people all fall down. Well, there's a video where, and maybe we'll do this one Sunday, where they show, and it's, it's really sad because they take it like as he has electricity coming out of his hands and the people all fall down. <laughs> you know, I don't, th- I, I don't think it's that when Paul talks about his power, his impact. I believe he's talking about the very fact, like when a parent comes home, they display their power. They, they display their influence. And, and he says, verse 20, for the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. I believe the fact that he's talking there that, you know, just like a parent has the position, he would have the position. He would have the position of the apostle. Now, we've said in the book of Ephesians, the apostles are the foundation of the church. And apostles had character. And today we have pastors, we have elders. And I think that passage that I read earlier from the fact that God doesn't want his leaders to rule and lord it over people, the idea of having a servant, this is why it's so critical for us to understand passages like 1 Timothy 3, Titus chapter 1, that your pastor and your elder isn't coming with any type of attitude. He has to have that attitude of humility. So that when you confront people, when you call them on the carpet, that God will bless that and it's not being done out of arrogance. And, and so when he says in verse 20, for the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power, he, I believe, is talking about him coming and bringing his position, but God working behind it. And we're going to turn to Matthew 18 here in a second. But to me, that's the very essence of what church discipline is. And I'll explain that in a second. But he says in verse 21, what do you desire? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? So like, ultimately, it's like when you know, dad's on his way home and mom says, do you want dad to come in angry and all upset? Or would you rather have a nice dinner? We're all pleasant. Happy family tonight. <laughs> what do you want? And the kids have got to either say, well, we better get our act together now or we are in trouble. And obviously you can see, if you don't have a strong dad in the home, you're gonna have problems because the kids aren't gonna have any fear. And I think the Apostle Paul is talking about the proper position that he had, a pastor has. And so obviously the the idea here is, is by the confrontation, we're going to kill pride. And, and we're going to deal with it face to face. And sometimes that's what you need to do. You need to tell somebody something. You need to tell them face to face. So in this situation specifically, I believe what the Apostle Paul is doing for people that are under the realm of the church, he's bringing church discipline. And let's just quickly turn there. Uh, you know, today we don't have a call that I can make to the Apostle Paul and have him show up, all right, if we were having a, d- a dispute. 
But what we would do is we would say, look, you know, if we're dealing with people or we're dealing with an issue, we need to go face-to-face and deal with it one-on-one. So turn in your Bibles to Matthew 18, and this is what is the hallmark of a, of a, a faithful church. Um, godly, godliness in Matthew 18. A very famous passage prior to the epistles, interestingly enough. Matthew chapter 5, verse 18, verse, I mean, chapter 18, verse 15. The Apostle Paul says, if your brother sins, go and, sh- and show him his, pro- his fault in private. Okay? But if he listens to you, you've won your brother. So this is why, you know, you got to understand when you deal with someone in sin, you're not to go off to other people. You go and you direct, deal with it directly. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. And if he listens to you, what have you done? You've won your brother. And I got to tell you, this happens all the time. I share this with people. I tell people one-on-one. And you don't hear about it, and it all ends. We see, though, the next step. But if he does not listen to you, verse 16, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. It's not, I don't believe it's people who have witnessed the event. You've witnessed it, but now you're coming to the person, and you're saying, I saw you do this. And typically what happens is they'll not dispute that. It might be their interpretation. They might not like that, what you thought. But you're to take two or three people that will confirm how they've reacted, how they've responded. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And this is a procedure that we do here where, you know, we, by the step that where verse 16 has come in, and as it transitions into verse 17, you're telling the people, you're telling the elders, and the elders have gotten involved, and they make a determination. This person is not going to listen. They don't want to live by biblical principles. And so if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Treat him as an unbeliever. And I'm telling you, this is what God wants for his church. You look at the purity from other passages, God expects this. And it's out of this context that we talk about the, remember the Apostle Paul says the kingdom doesn't, isn't in words but in power. I truly believe, and this is what's often missed and quoted at prayer meetings, and I've shared this for 21 years. There are just, I've seen this not only in our church but others. Verse 18 is a passage that's often quoted for prayer meetings, but verse 18 is about confrontation verse 18 says truly i say to you whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven again i say to you if two or three of you agree on earth about anything that that they may ask it shall be done for them by my father who is in heaven for where two or three have gathered together in my midst i am there in my name i am there in their midst so it's the idea of that You're bringing this confrontation and God is going to be working in the heart of the person. And I believe the Apostle Paul recognizes that God would be there in the midst to bring about the repentance and and the blessing of the two or three together. So as a church, we've got to remember the first step. And what people are so terrified about is not confronting on the very first 
action if your brother sins. And so you can underline it. Go tell him his fault in private. But you're saying, wait a second. The Apostle Paul is dealing with this in a public format. Well, I believe you've got leaders now that have, have, um, have gone above and beyond where they should be. And the Apostle Paul um, has now got to bring this into a public format. So if you'll just quickly turn, and we'll be our last verse, and we'll wrap up with this, 1 Timothy chapter 5. The Apostle Paul is talking about how you're dealing with leaders, elders, and he talks about verse 17, 1 Timothy chapter 5, elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of a double honor. That means they're the honor of their position, and then they're to be paid. That's where the double honor comes in. So especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. And so the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox. Verse 18 says, well, he's threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Some say, well, why do you pay a pastor? That's why. This is part of the teaching. But then he says, do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. I believe this is an even more, a higher standard. Like, hey, this isn't, we're not going to deal with anything public with an elder, with a pastor, unless we really have substantial evidence. But verse 20, those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all so that the rest may also be fearful of sinning. And I believe he's talking about the elders, the pastors, the deacons, so that if they don't repent, we're dealing with something that, that with a person who's well-known, and it's got to be brought out in the public because it's got to be stopped. And to me, this is what the Apostle Paul is warning the church at Corinth. I've got to come, and I've got to bring the heavy hammer. So turn back to 1 Corinthians and, and just look at the big picture now. If you've got your sermon notes in front of you, look at what we've done. You see, the Apostle Paul is saying, look, son, everything I've been working to do is to connect the dots I want you to understand, you guys are overinflated. I want you to understand, you're my spiritual children, and we don't have the Apostle Paul today coming, but we would understand spiritual positions today and positions of pastors and elders and deacons today. You've got to recognize in the church, and, you know, in the end, when you see things happening, you need to confront. And confronting is hard. And I've tried to confront people, and they've run. And they do run. And then they, they say all kinds of bad things about you because how dare you think that you have the position you have? Well, guess what? Ultimately, a pastor and an elder and deacons, they do have positions. And it's, it's a humble thing. But if I'm this guy that's all about me, and it's all about you know, who I am, then you're going to be skewed in those confrontations. You know? Um, you're going to be demanding things that aren't yours, aren't your right. And, and you're not going to confront people in a godly and a loving way. Obviously, just the same way you hope a father and a mother confront their children. They're going to do it in a godly way. So I want to conclude with this. The Bible speaks of parents that do not discipline their children as not loving their children. You should go back in Proverbs and read that. You know that. Then pastors and elders and a church that do not confront people who are in sin are just as unloving. I keep hearing from somebody 
Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, you are. Recently, someone challenged me with that very thought. Am I my brother's keeper? And the answer is absolutely yes, you are. If you see someone in sin and you don't say anything, and we're talking about significant sin, then you are responsible. And I truly believe God will hold you accountable. God holds me accountable. In the war of good and evil, Satan has done a good job in getting people to think silence is the best course of action when in actuality, open rebuke is better than hidden love, Proverbs says. So we believe Paul came to them, Acts 20, between Acts 18 and Acts 20, I believe Paul came to them and he met with them face to face and I hope that the church at Corinth got right. We think it did. My hope is that today is that you don't have to ever have to confront, but if you do, please do it. Understanding when it's done that hopefully you will win your brother to you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that the Apostle Paul has attacked pride so strong. We are in a war and we cannot go half-hearted. And sin creeps its way into the church. And as we're going to get into Acts chap- I mean, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, it gets in with sexual immorality and it gets in, in a bad way. And God, we need to deal with it. Help us all to take the log out of our own eyes, God. Because sometimes we think when we're dealing with pride, we hope that others could hear this message. When in actuality, we often think the world of ourselves and we think ourselves clean when in actuality... All of us have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. I'm asking God for our church to be strengthened through these studies on attacking pride because we know, God, that is because of our flesh, pride will keep wanting to come back and, it, and we need to keep it down. Help us, God, to recognize the very nature of when we came to faith in Christ, we recognized our humility. We couldn't fix our problems. And we don't know how to live. Your word has to guide us. It has to be our light in this dark world. May it be. Help everyone here humble themselves, no matter what they're facing in life, to read the word of God and to follow its prescriptions. And because of that, we become a stronger church. In Jesus' name, amen.